Welcome to the Check Your Head podcast, the podcast where notable musicians and experts come and share their personal stories and their solutions for mental health and wellness. I'm your host, Mari Fong, a music journalist and life coach for musicians. And today I'm really excited to say that we hit our one-year anniversary. And since then, despite all the hardships of 2020, we do have a lot to be thankful for. We appreciate our generous sponsors and partners like Lemon Tree Studios in Highland Park, DBSA San Gabriel Valley, Blue Oak Mastering, and Sweet Relief Musicians Fund, who have all supported our mission to normalize the conversations on mental health and also provide solutions and recovery for mood disorders and addictions, especially for musicians. We're also thankful for the incredible guests who share their stories of hope and perseverance, along with outstanding mental health experts and nonprofits that have helped us understand more about mood disorders and therapies that can lead us to better mental wellness. A big thank you to my associate producer, Sylvia Garcia, and to all our listeners and friends who've donated or supported us on our Patreon page or on CheckYourHeadPodcast.com. If you believe in our mission and would like to partner with us in 2021, feel free to drop me an email at CheckYourHeadPodcast at gmail.com. I'd really be happy to hear from you. Uh, today's episode is in loving tribute to Brad Noel of Sublime, Sublime being a band who influenced so many other bands, including the reggae rock band Pepper from Kona, Hawaii. After releasing nine albums with hits like Give It Up and No Control, we have as our featured guest today, Yusad Williams, drummer for the band Pepper. As a partner at Law Records, Yusad has spearheaded a compilation CD called The House That Bradley Built, with a variety of artists such as The Descendants, Say Ferris, The Mad Caddies, G. Love and the Special Sauce, and the Long Beach Dub All-Stars, singing their favorite Sublime covers. All profits will be going to the Bradley House, an opioid rehab center for musicians, named after Bradley Knoll, the lead singer of Sublime, who sadly lost his life in 1996 due to a heroin overdose. Our second guest is Bradley's sister, Kelly Knoll, the executive director of the Knoll Family Foundation, who shares more about the Bradley House, along with her family memories of Brother Brad and Sublime. So let's start with Yusad Williams, who shares his story of alcoholism, mental health, and recovery. Thank you for having me on the podcast, by the way. I very oh, much appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so yeah. much for being on the show. I'm so yeah. excited. Of course, yeah. <laughs> um, but just to go, touching on what the show's all about and whatnot, I mean, that time, so there was that beginning time in the band that was so much fun and it was so great. And, um, and, uh, and I've always in, in my life with my struggles personally with, uh, uh, addiction or any kind of uh, mental illness, it was, it mainly centers around my mother because she was a very bad alcoholic. She passed away in, um, 2008. It's crazy. It's been so long ago. Um, and it was due to just drinking her whole life. I watched the whole thing unfold in front of my eyes, but I want to preface everything by saying she was the most wonderful mother. She took me to my first concerts. She took me to see Metallica in 1989. Uh, I got to meet all the guys because she worked for the promoter. So she really like as like kind of troubled as she was in her mind, she had this whole thing like almost figured out for me. It seemed like when I look back on everything, you know, in 2008, like I said, when my mother passed away, I knew, I knew everything about alcoholism at that point. I knew like, the ways to deal with it. You know, I'd been through sending my mom money 
having to cut her off because she was still drinking, having her promise to me she wasn't going to drink. We come from a very small town, so I'd have friends calling me and telling me, like, hey, man, like, I had to pick up your mom hitchhiking. Like, mm-hmm. like man, she's like, you know, she's like, you know, not doing it. But in the same time, a small town like Kona kind of enables you to do that kind of thing. So uh, I, I'd struggled with her in uh, my own right where I, like, you know, in my eyes, like, I had a career at that point. I had my shit together. I was able to pay her rent as well. So I was dealing with it from that side of it. I guess you could say from like a, a, a spectator's side of it. I don't know what the right term would be, but I was trying to help the situation, you know? And then uh, uh, in, in 2008, I got a call in, we were in, we were in fucking Europe of all places in Germany on tour with uh, Floggy Molly. And, uh, and I'd known for a while, just, you know, my mom was kind of, it was so frustrating me. I'd just get mad at her and I'd get, and, and through all this, it was such like a learning experience of dealing with all the uh, intricacies of alcoholism and, and, and everything, you know, and just addiction in general. Um, and also dealing with how it affects with your normal emotions, AKA the love that a mother had for her only child, you know what I mean? Cause I'm an only child. So <clears throat> Oh. All those, all those things and those intricacies. So, uh, uh, flashback to we're in Europe. I get a call from our old manager and says, uh, Hey, I need to talk to you, uh, right now or whatever. And this was like in 2008, there wasn't crazy smartphones at that point. So I'm like, okay, hold on. I need to like go find Skype. And she's like, no, no, you got to call right now. Or seriously go talk to him. And right then I was like, Oh shit. Like, this is like some serious life shit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So anyway, I got the call uh that my mom was in the hospital she like was at a friend's the night before basically went into like some kind of seizure like like gnarly foaming at the mouth kind of thing went into the Mm -hmm. hospital by the time i got the call uh it was the call to see if to get my approval to basically turn the machines off (gasps) you know what i mean that must be a really tough call just I mean, it it seems like it was a long time coming, but as a family member, as a son, you just never think that that day is going to come, you know, no, yeah, you might no, fear it, but then even. when you're actually faced with it, you're like, you know, that must've been really shocking. Yeah. And oh, I, I, I fucking scary. yelled at this. I, I yelled at the sky and I, I called my auntie, my mom's sister. And I, I literally was like, you have to deal. I can't. Almost, I was mad. I was, I was, I was mad at the, at the fucking hospital people. You know what I mean? I was like, uh-huh. I was like, what are you trying? You're trying to fucking ask me to like turn off the machines to my mother. You know what I mean? It was, it was crazy. It was this yeah. wild, wild fucking thing that my emotions, my brain, my everything yeah. went through. And, and I was like, just in a weird kind of time at that place. Anyway, I just like ended a very, very long relationship. I was just like, so anyway, I kind of started spinning into my own kind of tailspin at that point. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was weird, though, because I kind of knew it. Like, right right when it happened, I'm like, huh, my mom just passed away from drinking. I drink, like, quite a lot out. You know what I mean? I kind of, like, something entered my brain at that point of, like, I don't know, some kind of, like, guiding light, you want to say it, or, or mm-hmm. something where I was, like, I, but, and I knew it. And it almost, it was a weird thing, because from 2008 to just to like go flash forward. I haven't drank since April 2nd, 2017. And it's like one of the fucking greatest decisions I've ever made. So in between that was nine years though. Mm -hmm. You gotta, you gotta remember there was nine years in between my mother passing away and me quitting drinking. So I fucking, I drove myself through hell. I, I, you know what I mean? I like 
I disrespected myself in many levels. I wasn't happy with the person I was. And it all started with that, that like guiding light in my head, uh, telling me that I know I shouldn't be drinking, but I kind of, I was all good. Cause I always have the, I always had this thing in my head of, uh, when I was, since I was a younger man of like, I'll be all good when I'm 50 years old, just having a couple beers and, and, uh, mm-hmm. in the backyard barbecuing. But my lifestyle in that nine years, especially was never going to lead to that. Cause it just, it was the slippery slope. You know what I mean? I just kept on drinking more and more and more and more. And it just, and it just wasn't good. Well, the thing too is that addictions like alcoholism can be passed down in your DNA. And even though, you know, maybe you weren't, you didn't start out to be a drinker, but, but because you have that DNA, it can come out, you know, at any time. Oh, and you don't even know, you don't even know when it hits you. Cause like, uh, sorry to cut you off, but it's like, that's what, during that nine years I had a, I had a realization where I was like, fuck, I'm drinking to be happy now. Mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I'm not drinking cause it's like necessarily like, yes, I was having fun of course. Cause I'm a happy person and I would go hang out with friends and we would have fun adventures and whatnot. But like the root of it all and those times when I, it would just get real dark, it was like, I was just, I was drinking to be happy. And that's like, yeah, that's, that, like- that's what you're talking about. It's like, it'll get you, you know what I mean? It's that's the slippery slope. Yeah. And then especially, I mean, with your mother's passing, you know, you were talking about anger, you're talking about, I mean, years of having to kind of, you know, even though she was a good mother, there, there was some babysitting that was going on, right? You would oh, get the 100%. call and, oh. you know, you would have to talk with her <laughs> about her drinking. And I'm sure was the there adult. was, yeah, like com- you know, a frustration as you were growing up, because I'm yeah. sure that alcoholism got in the way of her really, you know, being able to be there for you. Yeah. And, no, you totally. know, and, um, Sometimes that happens. You grab the drink because it's hard to deal with those emotions, the healing of of losing your parents. Yeah. No, no, totally. 100%. Involved me just going on a point of drinking for a few days and then not remembering something or or like uh, my current, you know, my wife right now, she like during the breaking point of me quitting drinking, I mean, I guess I could talk about that. There was a time where I don't know what had happened. We went to like, you know, do a normal, our normal kind of, uh, uh, have fun. We went to a party of some sort, basically a few days later, uh, I was still drinking. Uh, my wife was at work and, uh, she basically, I, I don't remember because I blacked out at a certain point, but basically she got a call from our studio engineer at the time uh, that like I, I had escaped. I'd walked out of the studio because also before that my wife had called our studio engineer saying she couldn't get in touch with me. I was passed out drunk at the house. My studio engineer came, grabbed me like, I don't remember any of this, grabbed me, took me to the studio. And then I was just like hammered drunk there. and. I left, I guess. And they were like, holy shit, he's gone. Like, like we don't know where he went. Like, whatever, flash forward, it, long story short, my wife found me on fucking the side of the street, like like on, the, on a curb or something, like sitting down, you know what I mean? Like, so if that's not a dark place, I really don't know what is. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, but anyway, so that was just one, you know, after like millions of, millions of red flags, like that's like kind of like one of the ones that I'm like, you know, of course with the beautiful love that I have around me, it's like, like, okay, I got to do something. And then 
if I can get a little more into uh, what, like you're talking about how hopefully I can help other people out Mm -hmm. to uh, be fortunate and grateful enough to be on the other side and telling this story. Uh, Around that time, I remembered I have a really good friend named Adam O'Rourke, who is also a shredding drummer. Um, He used to play in a band called Two Cents that we used to take out on tour with us. And, um, uh, and we used to party tons and like have great times on the road. And, uh, they were just, you know, liked all the music we liked great guys, um, loved them. But anyway, around this time, I remember just reading on like his Instagram or something a year or two before that, uh, that he hadn't drank for like two years or something like that. Like, and, and I was like, huh, that always kind of stuck in my head. So after this, like one of, you know, of the dark periods I've experienced, uh, through, uh, alcohol, um, and coming back. And finally, I think having within me, like the, the, the final straw of like something really has to change, you know, um, in fear, I guess I had the fear in myself of like, shit, something really has to change. Like I'm scaring myself kind of thing. Well, what was Um, that? What was that exactly that made you, that scared you enough to, to say, to really think about your drinking? I guess just the like complete loss of control, mm-hmm. you know, like, I mean, you talk about like blacking out and not remembering certain shit once in a while. Like that would, that was a like semi-regular occurrence with me, you know, but not, not at the level of that, of being just completely fucking out of control. Cause like, I, I mean, I could have died super easily and gotten hit by a car or like that loss of control that happened during that day is what, hit me and drove me to call my buddy Adam. So I called Adam and I asked him and I'm like, Hey, what's so what, what did you do? Uh, uh, you're quitting drinking and whatnot. And I told him about, you know, everything about my mom, about this and um, that, and just everything that those, my whole life of drinking, especially those nine years. Um, and he basically was like, Oh man, yeah, definitely. Like you definitely should like quit drinking, man. Like, like it sounds like you're, like, you know, at the breaking point, I guess you could say or whatever. And he's dropped this one on me. He's like, Hey, do what I did. He's like, quit drinking for three months. Just give it three months. Then start drinking again, man. Like, but just see what three months does to you. You know what I mean? And I'm like, okay. Okay. So it wasn't even really like I was planning on quitting drinking at that point. And I was like, okay, that's, that sounds cool. I even did in my head. I was like, Hey, this is, it was April 2nd. So I was like, Three months, okay. It, I can drink again on Fourth of July. Like I was, I was, I was not fearing fucking the commitment of quitting drinking. You know what I mean? Which is, I think a lot of people look at that and they're like, "Holy shit, fuck that!" But they don't realize that, or what happened to me could probably happen to them. And after a month, I was like, "Oh my god, I feel so good. Like I feel so amazing." And then, so uh, flashback though, back to Adam when I was talking to him on the phone, he hit me with this one too, where he was like, "Hey, man." I think it like really sounds like, you know, you need to quit drinking. And if you don't, it's going to kill you. That was a huge, huge part. A huge well, did piece. you, you know, did you have any physical things that happened to you or mental things that happened to you that you, you kind of attributed to drinking too much alcohol? I was majorly affected mentally. Like I just was not, I was fucking depressed. I was like, and the only times I really like be like happy was when I was drinking. But another thing, which I fucking Adam, man, Adam is my savior. I swear. He told me how he's like, trust me, man, the longer 
you not drink, the more empowering it'll become. And like the more proud you'll be and the more like, and it's so true. It's just all those like just emotions or whatever. They all grow to exponential levels that I've never even fucking experienced to like quit drinking. It's amazing. Now, when you stopped drinking, it sounded like you kind of did a cold turkey thing. Yeah. Did you have any physical effects of withdrawal or do you, were you just like, okay, and just started eventually like getting it out of your system and seeing the positive changes and the positive feelings that come with it? Yeah, I'm so lucky. I totally did cold turkey and like, yeah, it was all, yeah. I mean, I was very, I was, I wasn't in my right head for a couple of weeks, you know, just, just depressed and bummed out and like feeling like shit and like. I mean, it's a full-blown depressant into the nth degree. You know what I mean? So that's it's like horrible. when you, yeah, well, it's just it's a horrible. Tr- it's just a, that's like a tough, tough feeling, you yeah. know, to, to to live with. And and you know, I I'm going to commend you because you know there are people that have gone to those depths and think, well, I'm just going to start drinking again because I don't like yeah. how I'm feeling. And then you're just yeah. right back into it. Which but I you, did. I, I did it so many. I mean, I've done that so many, so many, so many times over and over for so many years that like, you know, it's just the same. It's the definition of crazy. I think when you're, when you're deep in alcoholism, it's like you're doing the same shit over and over. So what is going to happen? But the, but the bad thing is it's going to get worse because mm-hmm. you drink more and you drink more and you drink more and you drink more. And like, I just feel lucky that I'm, that I'm very grateful to be on the other side, which is why I can talk about it and mm-hmm. why I, I, I'm able to hopefully shed some sort of light on it. Like my buddy Adam did to me, you know what I mean? It was amazing. Yeah. You, you're talking about how things started to change, how yeah. you started to feel. And it yeah. sounds like your, your emotions got even brighter. Oh yeah. Or, or more expressive, or you were able to feel oh, yeah. the good feelings more. Yeah. Yeah, I fell in love with myself like way, way more. You know what I mean? I was like, like, like in the best way ever. I was just like, oh my God, like, like I've been fucking suppressing all the fucking good shit in me. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, and not like fucking, I hate myself before that. It's just like, I did not know my potential at all. You know what I mean? And it's like, I mean, I, I could run you down a list of the positive shit I've done in the last three years that I would have never done if it wasn't, if I was drinking. You know what I mean? I'd probably, I'd probably be doing just my bare minimum, you know what I mean? Which is like, you know, I play drums for Pepper, like right on. It's it's all come to light. It's like, just even the first, I think the first thing I noticed was, uh, um, I grew up surfing, obviously. It's like, it's like what I live to do, you know what I mean? I, I wake up in the morning, I look at the waves, and then I go surf, and then I start my day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that was the first thing I noticed. I was like, oh my God, I'm waking up early every morning. I'm fucking surfing so much. This is like, this is amazing. And that alone is going to make you feel better. No matter yeah, the exercise and being out in the water and being out the, in nature, that's oh, like yeah. so good for you. The negative ions from the ocean, like the whole thing. It's like, so that was like one thing that I really was like, I guess was part of the falling in, in love with my, I was like, yes, like I, this is amazing. You know what I mean? Then the second one, the second one was I started reading like motherfucker. I started reading so much and like my mother always would tell me how much I should read. And I just like didn't have the patience and I couldn't, I'd read pages of shit and I would be like, Oh shit. What? Well, I, I don't remember anything I just read. <laughs> so, um, so I've been reading tons and that was the next one that I was just so proud of myself. I was like, Holy shit, this is amazing. Like I can't, I can't, I'm just blowing my own mind. And, um, 
and I don't know, there's just, that was the dominoes, the domino effect. And it was, and I would keep thinking back to Adam. I'd be like, holy shit, man. And I'll text him. I'd be like, fuck, you're so right. And then unfortunately enough, he actually, uh, relapsed when my, my buddy Adam has, he's got had problems with like pills and stuff. And mm-hmm. he, uh, kind of disappeared for a while right after I got my drinking together and got like left it behind me. And then then he got clean again. He actually went to rehab and he got clean again. I Another big pillar for me was I went to Nicaragua on a surf trip the uh, September after the April that I quit drinking and I was meeting all my friends I grew up with in Kona there. And I was real worried. I didn't know, like I was thinking maybe, I, maybe I'll start drinking then, you know, like, like all my boys I grew up with that we grew up drinking together. You know what I mean? That's like, mm-hmm. like, that's just what we did as a boys in Kona, like whatever. So anyway, I got down there and, and all the boys were like, Hey, yee, we heard that you haven't drank for like six months. Like that's fucking epic. And I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, it is. It's so epic. You know what I mean? And I don't know if it's like, the, the, I mean, those are all the friends that dealt with my mom firsthand. I think that was the last thing that I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure I'm done for good. Well, that's really wonderful that your old drinking buddies kind of, um, you know, congratulated yeah. you and gave you the high five. Because, well, they're my you know, friend. They're my friends. That's why first shit. They still are, but I don't drink. That's all. I drink. I drink Lacroix now. You know what I mean? There's a lot to be said with the people you surround yourself with. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because you could have been surrounded by friends that were trying to pull you the other way, right? Like, come yeah. on, let's come on. You I, you gotta have a beer. You can have a couple, a couple. beers. You oh, yeah. know, there's, there's, and then, like you said, there's a slippery slope, and I'm sure you've you've gone through that, right? The back and forth, and you know, trying different ways to be able to maybe drink and yeah. you know, not get out of control. But you know, you thankfully have got to a point where you know your body and you know your behavior, you yeah. know, with alcohol, and I mean, that's a real sense of maturity. Right yeah, through experience, well, I, through like tough experience. I hope fuck. Then and, and yeah, I mean, there's like all those stories, like I mentioned, the one of me ending up on the fucking side of the road. It was tough, man. It was fucking brutal. Like it, 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 it took me to the ends of like being on the other side of trauma and back again. You know what I'm saying? It's like all these traumatic experiences separated me so far from my true self that I like literally was looking back at like. Who the fuck is this guy? Well, I'm sure uh, you heard of stories the day after. I mean, those yeah. would have been shocking if you completely black out and then find yeah, and out whether, that well, you're like, what and, did I do? You're, and, what did I say? That and, must and have been, is, yeah. And, but just the ones where you overhear people talking about the night before, and they're not even talking to you, but you have no recollection of what they're talking about, but you know you were there, but you don't want to admit it. So you're not going to interject into that conversation. That shit killed me. Mm. And that was like, that was like a, uh, that was like a, that's funny. I've never even like realized that, but um, thank you for, for making me realize that. Well, but yeah, yeah, that was just, a, that was just a tough one. That's why, cause I would, I would, it would hit me hard in the head just by myself. And I wouldn't tell anyone cause I was fucking ashamed of not remembering shit. You know what I mean? And like, and being, being an alcoholic or being in need of help. It's tough, I think, for guys, especially because you grow up, you know, being the problem solver, right? Totally. And, like, and being like, you know, I'm going to keep going because I can do this. I can conquer this by myself. I'm going to, you know, do totally. it my way. And I'm going to do it my way. And then 
when a drug or an alcohol or something beats you and you let go, right? You let go and you try someone else's way that has worked. You know, you, you just, you're thankful for that, right? Thankful for that. That's why your story, sometimes people will bang their head against the wall for so long and some people can fall away and not make it. So to share, you know, your solutions and, you know, you went cold Turkey and you started seeing all these great, um, you know, things mentally and physically that were happening to you as you got off of alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure with all of that came, you know, other things that fell off the way, like maybe nutrition or thinking about exercise and thinking about all the different things because you get lazy, right? You just, maybe you're just focused on And all the fucking, all the sugar in, in alcohol. Come on, man. No, no, the health. That's a very good point. Thank you for bringing it up. We moved to the mainland, started the band, uh, kind of just ate like shit because we were flat broke. We would literally buy uh, uh, at this place called uh, Toes in San Diego because we moved from Kona to San Diego in 1999, the three of us together. We would buy this one bean burrito that was 59 cents and we would ask them for another tortilla and they'd usually give it to us for free. Sometimes they'd charge us like 15 cents and we would make three burritos out of the two tortillas and like, so like all those beans got lard and all this shit. So anyway, so I gained some weight in my early twenties again. And then kind of during this 2008, when I think my, my drinking kind of really ramped up in that nine years, like I gained a ton of weight. Uh, at that point I was like at 240 or something like that. You know what I mean? When I got to my heaviest, but it was a mixture of everything. It was all, it was how how bad alcohol is for your body with all the calories, all the sugar that just basically turns into carbs, but along comes with it. And all the, like, the fact of like you you respect yourself less in my opinion and you, and you don't care about yourself as much not only are you going to eat bad but you're also going to take care of your body less after the month two months of not drinking i was like holy shit i'm losing more weight now too like like exponentially like and it's and i knew it i was like it's just cuz i'm not like flooding my body with alcohol so um so that was another pillar which was like the surfing more all the colors of the rainbow opening up to me just being more inspired in general and everything, just, just the man that I am and this opportunity of, of life that I have, just being inspired and, and, and seeing my potential in general, uh, seeing my friends and having them support me. Um, uh, my band, of course, supporting the shit out of me through everything, through when I was at my worst to when I got when I went where I am now, which I consider is, is at my best and getting better every day. But yeah, so my, I mean, my health regimen is as far as like, uh, what would you call it? Um, regimented exercise. Uh, I try to surf every day. Um, That's good cardio. It, yeah, which is pretty, which is pretty solid cardio. Swimming is the most amazing um, exercise ever because obviously you do like two laps and you're like, oh, oh wow, it's harder than I thought. So uh, yeah, and then I I do rudiments every day for uh, with, with drums. You know what I mean? Like whether they be just paradiddles on uh, my drum pad or on my like practice kit that I have back there. That's another thing that has came to light is I've fell in love with the drums so much since I quit drinking. I've learned so much that I should have known a long, long time ago, just when it comes to like technicalities, fundamentals, everything. And again, and now I'm so proud of myself as a drummer. Like I'm just like, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Like, so that's just another aspect. 
Thank, thank you. Even thank more of a badass. But, uh, as far as eating, uh, I don't eat any meat besides fish from pescatarian. I can't, I can't give up, uh, uh, the fish, like especially sashimi, raw fish. Uh, so I mean, good. yeah, it's, it's amazing. And, and I try to try to steer where, uh, steer away from a ton of mercury and whatnot, but the ahi is also kind of what we were bred on back growing up in Hawaii. So, uh, the one, like my, my vice these days, it kind of seems like it kind of replaced the alcohol is, um, ice cream and cookies. So that's like the bad part of my regimen, I guess. Cause like, I just, that's my cheat is the cookies and ice cream. I just like, Oh man, it's so good. Um, but <laughs> besides that, and, and then besides that, I, I wake up and I take 3000 milligrams of spirulina mm-hmm. and I drink either coffee or uh, yerba mate, which I need mm-hmm. to go back to yerba mate because I like to go back and forth. So like the caffeine keeps working and I don't eat breakfast. That's probably a, uh, might be a, a controversial one. Uh, I eat a light lunch and then I'll have dinner and then um, I'll have some ice cream. Oh, and then I'll have some, and then I'll have some ice cream. It's a nice treat. <gasps> it's a nice treat. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. But, but that's pretty much like, that's pretty much how I eat every day. I kind of like, I kind of don't, whether I'm on tour, we're lucky enough that we've realized that on tour, which we can't wait to get back out there and play for you guys and everyone again. But uh, we've realized that a toaster oven on a tour bus is the equivalent of having a damn oven on there because mm-hmm. I'll throw smoked salmon in that thing and sear the smoked salmon. And it'll smell like the best pastrami you've ever smelt in your whole entire life. And I'll throw it on a bagel with some sprouts. That's another part of my diet. I'm huge on sprouts. Alfalfa sprouts, they're a living entity. You people need to eat them. They're so good for you. Uh, And nutritional yeast too. I put nutritional yeast on almost like anything. It's amazing. You know what? I I do that too. Yeah. You know, you could put it on top of spaghetti because it kind of tastes a little like cheese. Yes, but it's got it's all these great B vitamins, right? And probiotics. Yeah. And the thing about B vitamins is that not only does it give you the energy, like the mental yeah. energy and the physical energy, but it yeah. also steadies your, um, your emotions. It steadies your mood. So yeah. it's something, uh, you know, we, sometimes we get frustrated or there's roadblocks in the day. We don't get yeah. as frustrated. We, we just, yeah. you know, there's a sense of, um, just this wonderful calm, but yeah. also, you know, being excited about life. Yeah, totally. And, you know, and, and it's got a, it, totally, it's got a cerebral thing too, where it's like, it, it gets, it gets you going in the brain too. You know what I mean? Well, I so. also saw, you know, talking about you being, um, motivated and doing all these things. I know that you are a partner in law records, which is putting yeah. out, you know, the house that Bradley built the CD. Yeah. And we've got to talk oh, about man. that because yeah. that is such We're... an incredible project. Oh, um, man. tell me about that project and how you got involved with it. Yeah, totally. So, uh, so law records is the, the, it's our record label, the band it's Pepper's record label. The three of us are the three partners. And, um, just quick history. My dad actually started it in 1983 because he had a band called the law. So he started the label and then we revamped it in, uh, 2003 and brought on Paul Milbury, who's the general manager of, uh, law records these days. And he, uh, hit up the Noel foundation because he, uh, um, uh, had talked to Kelly, who's Bradley's sister, Bradley from sublime sister and pitched the idea to, 
make this acoustic tribute because we are, I mean, Pepper probably wouldn't be a band if it wasn't for Sublime along with like a ton of our peers bands. So like, I mean, he's like Bradley's one of the greats to us and like to be able to honor him in any capacity is such an, is such an honor and we're so grateful for it. So um, Paul hit her up and we're really big fans of the Sublime and Friends acoustic album that they put out in 1998, I believe right after Bradley passed away, which is in turn just him playing acoustic guitar and singing songs and that was our inspiration for the content of the house that bradley built we were like we want to go hit up all of our friends bands we want to hit up bands that we're fans of that we love that inspire us and and see if they'll donate their time to do a sublime cover of uh their choice that inspired or inspires them and in turn all the money is going to go to the noel foundation to build Bradley's house Mm -hmm. and that's going to be an eight bed inpatient rehab center in Orange County, California, specifically for people in the music industry and musicians that are battling with addiction and to bring some positive to people struggling with the same battles that unfortunately Bradley's life succumbed to, you know, and um, we're turning all that into amazingness, which he does every day because his music is, it's magic. It's absolute magic. Well, it is. And you know, I mean, it opened up reggae, but it opened yep. up like a mixture of, you know, rock and surf and, you know, ska and it inspired so many bands. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that he passed away from a heroin overdose in 96, uh, really before they even got to the level of, of so many people knowing yeah. about Sublime. So totally. it's it's wonderful to know that you know not only his music is is going to change the world, and you know the music industry, but also you know his life is going to represent yeah. recovery and yes. um, healing. And also with I mean, and also you know how it is. People that are struggling probably aren't going to be like very well off with money for recovery either. It's like the foundation says, where there's a will, there's a way out. And that's uh, that's what the Noel Family Foundation is all about. And that's what Bradley's House is going to be about. And we are just amazed at the response. Yeah, it's amazing, man. We've got the, the Descendants recovered the song Hope that Sublime covered of theirs. When we started down this road, we would wake up every morning. We're like, oh, my God, this is like Christmas every morning. And I tell you what, I would not be enjoying this as much if I had fucking alcohol in my life. Nor who knows if it would even be happening. I don't know, but it's just I can I enjoy it. Man, I, I'm so happy. I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for you because you know, <laughs> getting clean. It's also getting clear, clearing oh, your God. mind. Yeah, you know, and just um, it sounds super corny to say like a natural high, but there are so many natural highs. Yeah, you know totally. that your body can provide when it's healthy and happy. And um, the people that you have on this CD, you guys, you have Jim Lindbergh of Pennywise. Yeah. You've got um, uh, G-Love. Yeah. I I play drums on that song, by the way, too. Very nice. uh, April 29th. The thing about this that I thought was super cool, too, was that a lot of the songs were never released acoustic covers of, of Brad's music. And so these were like sublime songs that people have never heard along with the fact that rivers of Babylon. Oh my God. Sung by Brad's son, Jacob. Oh, 
and his dad. Oh my god! Have you heard it yet? Have you got? I haven't. I've been. Copy? I've been. Oh. I've been trying to find it because. Well, but what I did do was I. I've heard Jacob sing, and yeah. my gosh. Yeah, he can what a wail. voice! Yeah, what a I mean, voice! I mean, the and, guy's got the DNA, man. Yeah, he does. He does, and he does sound <laughs> a lot like his dad, but in his own yeah. unique way. Totally, totally. Talk about like filling shoes and like just being, you know what I mean? Like he barely knew his dad and like everything. And, and that's actually, I want to talk real quick about, about the Noel family, man. They are just, just the epitome of grace under pressure. And they're just, just, you know what I mean? They're just um, the most amazing people and, and, and they've, they've been through it all, man. You know? Yeah. And just the fact that you were able to really um, do something for, uh, you know, a man that you inspired you and your band and so many yeah. others um, and just feeling really good about that. Cause I did talk with yeah. Kelly and Kelly, uh, I don't know. It just seemed like it's coming full circle with the Bradley house Yeah, you know, that, that it's, they've kind of been thinking about how are we going to kind of pay tribute, but also give back. Yeah. And yeah. it's all, and, and I, I, I don't, I don't know if hopefully we're, some sort of catalyst that maybe is, is, is bringing something into focus. I don't know, but uh, from my stance, um, I want to keep on with, like, it's not just this release with our record label for me. Like I want to fuck, I personally want to help people through Bradley's house myself, but I want to, I want to, I want to honor my mother by helping mm. other people, I guess is what I was, what I'm trying to say. And, and like, that's, I have visions of myself personally fucking inspiring individuals that are at Bradley's house. This isn't, it's not just about the CD for me. I just, I want to help people. Yeah. And um, you can, just like Adam helped you, you could be that support system. Anyone out there that's listening, like, just like, man, if you're going through anything like dark or, or, or just a bummer of a time, man, like, trust me, it is out there. And, and there's so much out there and there's so much. It's just like, you just got to connect to it. Whatever you want to say it is. I, I, I've definitely keyed into something and shit, shit just keeps happening. And, it, and, it, and I'm so thankful for it, you know? Well, you know, I do believe that when people go through um, something really difficult, they're tested and they come out the other side and they're able to really give back and help out. Mm. Uh, I think gifts do come to you. Gifts will come because there is a graciousness and a thankfulness from beyond yeah that sounds corny but i know you feel it and i know that you feel that you know your mom is proud and i was talking with kelly and she uh as she was talking about brad i just was getting chills the whole time and you know to me that's sort of like the sign um, above that you're doing good work totally well thank you so much you said yeah you're pretty awesome yeah, and thank hey, you for being I, on the Check Your Head podcast. Hey, my pleasure. And hey, I love the name because the uh, Beastie Boys reference. <laughs> I love it. I love Absolutely, it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, rock. All right. Much love, Mari. Our next guest is Bradley Knoll of Sublime Sister, Kelly Knoll, the executive director of the Knoll Family Foundation. Kelly shares her story of family addictions and how Bradley's house will pay tribute to her brother by helping other musicians get off opioids through detox and therapy. We'll begin with Kelly talking about how the idea for Bradley's house first began. About three and a half years ago, 
my nephew, Jacob, Brad's son, was in rehab. Uh, and I was sitting there talking with Todd, who's an old friend of my brother's. So Todd and I were having lunch and he said, you know, what do you think about this? What do you think about opening a, a place for musicians where they can get help and, and you know, it'll be a nonprofit and we can raise money and blah, blah, blah. I thought, oh, that's a wonderful idea. Of course, I started crying. I'm a crier. And I was like, oh, that's great. Just let me know. I'm, I'm, I'll do whatever you need me to do. <laughs> and somehow that turned into running it. But, <laughs> but you know, it's been it's been such an incredible journey so far and we don't even have the house open yet, but I just, I know that we're on the right track. COVID has sort of taken over the whole opioid epidemic, but that still exists, you know, just because we're not talking about it so much anymore. It still is a problem all over the country. And, and we just kind of felt like, you know what, if we could just help musicians start where we are with what we know and help people in the music industry, give them a place where they can recover regardless of whether they have any insurance or financial support place where they can get the help that they need surrounded by other like-minded people. And then we'll hopefully carry that into their sobriety because, you know, being sober as a musician is, is not an easy thing. And um, we just felt like there was a huge power in that. And, you know, musicians are such influencers that, that then they go and, and help their sphere of influence and, and have that positive impact on all the people that are their fans and, you know, in that way, we can really hopefully have an exponential impact on this whole opioid epidemic that, that our country is suffering from. And so, you know, we can't, we can't help everybody, but we have to start somewhere. And it's, sometimes it feels kind of daunting when the problem is so huge. Um, but, but I do feel really good about, about what it is that we're doing and what we're trying to accomplish. And I do feel like Brad would be proud. You know, it's just, it's an opportunity for us to, to bring, this is what I always say, we're sort of uniting the music industry and the fans together to to come up with a solution for people that are struggling. So we've had a tremendous response from the, the Sublime community and people that loved Brad. And, you know, here we are almost, well, over 25 years after he passed away, and there's still so many people that are, are daily touched by his music. And they'll reach out to us and tell us how, how much it's impacted their lives and um, you know, it got them through through their struggles and into recovery. And um, so it, it just feels right. It feels like this is the right thing that we should be doing with, you know, the connections that we have and by um, by just reaching out to people that, that want to help and want to make a difference but don't know what to do and don't know how to do it. You know, you mentioned Todd uh, Z-Man Zelkins, who was the yeah. one, of, one of Brad's best friends. And I read about how he also battled like 17 year addiction to opioids. <sighs> and Hardcore addiction. I, yeah. And I was just, I was floored, you know, I think they said he was, you know, taking up to a hundred Vicodin pills a day. Uh, he's mm-hmm. now uh, become an addiction counselor and a speaker uh-huh. and also a co-founder for the Noel uh, Family Foundation. You mentioned Bradley House, which is really kind of the the core of the foundation is putting together this right. uh, rehab center. Can you tell me more about the plans for the rehab center and what your what your goals are with it? Yeah, absolutely. Our plan right now is to have it down in South Orange County, and the plan is to have a, start with a one week medical detox in a medical facility, and then a ninety day program in the house. And initially, this house will, of course, just be for guys, um, because I do believe that there's um, much stronger outcomes with gender-specific recovery and treatment. 
and um, it'll be a six bed treatment program. So we're looking at, you know, best case scenario, helping 24 guys a year and then helping them transition into a good quality sober living program and beyond. One of the things when my nephew was in recovery that we realized is that he was gravitating towards other musicians in the group uh, or other musically inclined people in the program and then even continued to stay in contact with them afterward. And that was a huge part of his recovery process, you know, having music be a part of it and connecting with other people through music. And so that's that's what I see as being really unique and, and special and strong about our program, too, is incorporating music into the recovery process, but also having those other people that come from the same background, have the same passion, but also are going to have the same struggles of staying sober in the music industry. You know, one thing I was reading about Brad was that it seemed like he had a public persona, but he also had a private persona. (laughs) Did you feel like there Yeah, there was a difference there. And sometimes, you know, with that difference, maybe you can explain the difference in the two personas. Um, That could be conflicting, you know, in your mind and that kind of kind of mess with you, you know. I mean, how would you describe that with Brad? I think that, you know, anybody who is the lead singer of a band has to have a a stage presence and a stage persona and, you know, sort of put that on. And for some people, that is the same person that they are off stage. But I think for many people, it's not. It's very different. And that was certainly the case for Brad. He was a very different person off stage, um, much more introverted, uh, introspective. But I do think that that helped to define his stage persona as well, because he was very much about being genuine in his music. He never he never was putting on an act when he was on stage. He was never trying to please people. He just, he had to play music. He needed to get it out. And, and so that's what he did. And, and obviously, you know, he hoped that people would like what he had to offer, but at the same time, you know, even if they didn't, I, he was, he was not really constrained by that for better or for worse. A a lot of people make reference to the fact that, you know, you never knew what you were going to get when you go to a Sublime show. And it's so true. Sometimes you go and they were just on and they were incredible and just had this amazing energy and presence. And other times they were so wasted that, you know, Brad would forget the words and they'd fuck up the music. And, you know, it's just, you just didn't know what you were going to get. And, and I think that, you know, that sort of goes, speaks to what he was dealing with, you know, a lot of a lot of his drug use was in the later years, especially was because of his music, you know, his experiment with heroin was because he thought that it might make him more creative and he felt the pressure to perform and the pressure to deliver, you know, fresh and new music. And so I think, you know, obviously he already was struggling with, um, with issues prior to using heroin, but, but once that got its hooks into him, um, that was that was the biggest struggle that ultimately took his life. So I think I think the difference between who he was on and off stage um, also played into you know his drug use and addiction. You know the podcast is all about mental health, and oftentimes um, addictions are kind of tied to mental health struggles. Now growing right. up growing up with Brad, did you notice anything that you think? Could have been a mood disorder or, or something that that might have, um, you know, further led up to his addiction? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we had two loving parents, but we were what I jokingly call the typical American family, you know, multiple marriages and step siblings and half siblings. And, um, and so it was, it was chaotic and, um, and both Brad and I struggled with that and dealt with it in different ways. And his, one of his ways of dealing with it was to um, start using early on. And, and he did struggle with, um, I think now they would have diagnosed him ADHD. He uh, took Ritalin as a kid. Um, and, you know, so he, he, obviously there were, there were some sort of diagnoses there, but, um, but he struggled. He struggled with, with a lot of things. And I think, I think if he were still alive now, looking back over the last 25 years, he would have struggled with depression and anxiety and a lot of those things that, that, you know, they run in our family for sure. There, you know, there's a genetic component. Um, but, you know, we, we use drugs and alcohol to, to self-medicate and to deal with those things and to quiet the voices in our head. And, and so, yeah, I definitely believe that that was a big part of his drug use as well, but definitely, you know, a lot of mental health issues there. I don't think you can separate the two. I mean, I'm sure there's here and there, the occasional person that suffers from um, substance use disorder, but doesn't necessarily have a mental health issue. But I think the norm is, is more that they coexist. You were talking about the sublime fans, and you know what? They keep growing every day. Right. But as his sister growing up with Brad, I was wondering if there was a story or an, or an example that you, could, that you could think of that would kind of describe the kind of person that he was. Oof, boy, that's a good question, Mari. I, I don't know that I could describe the kind of person he was with just one story. It would be a collection of stories. But, you know, it, in... At one time, he would be, um, you know, we'd be on a road trip in the back seat, and he's cracking me up with all those different voices. Like he could, he could imitate any accent. And I mean, you know, I was two and a half years younger, so there was probably a, a component of, you know, that wonderment. And you know, here's my big brother, and he can do anything because I truly believe that he could do anything when I was younger. But you know, he would he would speak, and I'd be like, oh my gosh, how do you know German? But he was just he didn't. He was just doing that accent. So it, it didn't surprise me that he grew up to be fluent in Spanish because he just he had an ear for languages, and and he was he could be very entertaining. But you know, then in the same road trip, our parents would be screaming at us to you know stop hitting each other. So. Um, or more likely for him to stop hitting me. I was, <laughs> I was much more peaceful than him. But you know, he had the the violent, angry side, and then he he was also you know protective, and so it, you know, it really really swung the gamut of things. But but it was it was the fact that he was all those things, you know. And and for me, having you know just a, a lot of chaos growing up, he was the constant for me, and so. I really, I felt protective of him as well, but I also looked up to him and, and, you know, wanted to support everything he was doing. I would, I would go to the shows just because it was him, you know, he could have been playing any music, quite honestly, it wouldn't have mattered good or bad, any genre. And I would have been there standing there happy to hear him, you know? So it, to me as his sister, he was just one of those people that was able to integrate himself into what he did. And I admired that so much about him that even when he got on stage, he wasn't putting on an act. It was just a different 
different aspect of him, a different side of him. But, you know, he was, he was very intelligent, very well-read, very introspective, uh, an overthinker for sure. He didn't do things lightly. You know, he would read books about the music industry and how to, you know, make a, a music deal and all this kind of, you know, he's just, he was very, but then he would, you know, go out and party and people just thought, you know, he's wild and crazy. And, and so there were just all these different sides of him that, um, that he somehow managed to pour into his music. And that's what I think people respond to the fact that what he's singing about and, and the way that he's doing it is really, really genuine. It's just, he's all the pieces of him coming together and, and he just, you know, sort of offers it up in his music. And I, that's, that's how I interpret it anyway. That's how I've come to understand why he's connected with people on such a deep, intimate level and still does all, you know, these almost 25 years later. Well, I mean, Sublime, so yeah. many bands have been inspired by their music and so many bands have, you know, kind of taken that musical genre and, you know, just, you know, done some great things with it. I mean, Pepper is yeah. is a band yeah. that you know really admired sublime and is now uh part of this whole uh cd that the house that bradley oh, built gosh this album yes that is completely because of them and so he laid out this whole idea for doing an acoustic compilation of sublime covers by different artists and I thought, you know, boy, that would be really awesome. And, you know, we've talked about doing something like that, but I wouldn't know the first thing about it. But, you know, Paul did and Yassad did. And they just, in nine months, they made it happen. And it blows my mind when I think about what they did and how quickly they did it and how well they did it. And I have just, I have so much respect for them after seeing all of this. We grew up in a very musical family, not just our immediate family, but our extended family as well. Music was just always a big part of our life. Um, the family parties, you know, several times a year, the whole family would get together. And, you know, at some point, all the instruments would come out, uh, whether it's guitar, banjo, harmonica, the gut bucket, which I didn't realize was such an unusual thing. But um, <laughs> I don't know what that is. And, you know, a gut bucket? Yeah, what is that? It's like a picture, like a big metal bucket that you might fill with ice and stick beers in. Okay. But then you turn it upside down, put a hole in it, and then there's like a a string through the hole that attaches to the top of a, like a broomstick or something. And then you attach the broomstick, use the broomstick to create tension on the string and you pluck the string. And it's kind of like a, it's like a hillbilly bass. Oh <laughs> so somebody wow. played a gut bucket and the, the just all kind of, and then, you know, they get out in Hula. We have a lot of family from Hawaii that have been there since the forties. and So that was a big part of our culture too. And I thought that was normal. I really grew up thinking that everybody did that for Christmas and Thanksgiving and Easter and everybody's birthday. And that's just what we did. And we'd all sing and dance and, and it was, it was a great, wonderful part of our childhood. You know, we'd sit around at the parties, all the kids, and we'd go through my dad's music book. He had this book with all the lyrics and the chords and all that kind of stuff. And so we'd go through and decide what songs we wanted them to play and what songs we were going to all sing together. And we'd work out dances and it was just a great way to grow up. So, um, you know, okay. my dad singing and playing was really the cornerstone for us. So it's well, neat to have him and Jacob doing a song together. Talking about Jacob, you know, I know that he's also had his um, addiction issues. Uh -huh. And he's got an incredible voice. Oh, my gosh. He sounds Definitely. 
so much like his dad, but in his own unique yeah. way. And God, exactly. just a powerful voice. But I read that when he was going through his addiction, that um, Todd Zelkins mm-hmm. helped him get yeah. clean and sober, which kind of, you know, comes full circle, right? With, with you know, exactly. all of that. What do you feel were like the key changes, the, re- the really important things that, that made him get clean and sober? That's, you know, that's a great question. And that would be something that probably only Jacob could truly answer. But from my perspective, he was able to recognize that he had a problem, that it was leading him down a path that he didn't want to go. And when he did finally that last time reach out for help, it was because he didn't want to keep living the way that he was living. That was what he told Todd. And so, um, you know, I, I commend him at a very young age. He chose to face things that most people will never deal with, quite honestly, or, you know, people twice his age will eventually get around to dealing with. And so he really, to his credit, dealt with some heavy stuff at a very young age so that he could get clean and sober. And I, he's got about three and a half years now. And I, I tell people all the time how impressed I am with him because he, he not only made that decision and got sober, but stays sober in the music industry. And that's so hard to do, but, you know, he's found ways to, that work for him that, you know, allow him to maintain what's important to him. And now he, you know, he's 25 years old and, and he's got this great band and this wonderful music career. And he's just, he's so talented and creative and gifted, but has a really great head on his shoulders. And I think that that's rare for people his age and, and so I have to give him a lot of credit. You know, he's, he's grown up. He was 11 months when Brad died. Mm-hmm. So he, he didn't have a memory of him. But boy, I'll tell you, there's, there's something to be said about nature versus nurture because there are so many mannerisms that he has that remind me of Brad or, you know, vocal inflections just when he's talking or telling a story that remind me of him. In fact, when his voice started to change, I hadn't, I hadn't talked to him for a little bit and I called to talk to my dad and he was over at my dad's and he answered the phone. And for a minute, I thought that it was Brad. And this was like, gosh, almost, you know, 12, 13 years ago. And I just, uh, my heart stopped because I heard this hello and it it was Brad. Like I just heard Brad and my brain didn't process it fast enough. And I just thought, Oh, it's Brad. All I remember is thinking, Oh, it's so great to hear from him. And then all of a sudden I realized, no, Brad's dead. That can't be him. That's Jake. And I just started crying before I could even say hello. I just started bawling. Poor Jacob is crazy. Auntie Kelly. And I just, he didn't even realize, you know, but that's just the tone. And there's just so many things. And then the first time I saw him perform on stage, I was like, where did he get that? That's so Brad right there. So it's really cool to see how he's definitely his own man. You know, I mean, he's not, not grown up in his father's shadow, but he recognizes and respects the legacy that he carries on. And that's not an easy thing to do. So I really, I give him a lot of credit. You know, Brad's there, like cheering him on and like, you know, wanting to see him, you know, get to where he wants to go, you know, with his music. And um, it looks like he's learned all the lessons uh, early on with, with his recovery. Yeah. Yeah. He's just, he's making really good decisions, which, is wonderful to see. And I know, I know without a doubt that Brad is proud of him. 
A big thank you to our featured guest, the incredible Yisad Williams of Pepper and Law Records, and the heart and soul of Bradley's house, Kelly Knoll. To purchase the 24-song CD, The House That Bradley Built, or to pre-order the Deluxe CD, which includes an additional 32 acoustic sublime covers that drops on January 15th, 2021, visit law-records.com. And again, all the profits from the CD will be going to the Noel Family Foundation to build Bradley's house. For more on Yisad Williams and Pepper, visit PepperLive.com. And for more on the Noel Family Foundation and Bradley's house, visit thenoelfamilyfoundation.org. If you're struggling with a mood disorder or an addiction, visit CheckYourHeadPodcast.com for mental help and solutions. We'll close out our episode with the song Rivers of Babylon, sung by Jake and Jim Knoll, a special duet by Bradley's son and father off the house that Bradley built CD. If you enjoyed today's Check Your Head episode, share it with your friends and be our friends on social media at Check Your Head Podcast. Leave us a review or support us with a donation at CheckYourHeadPodcast.com. So until next time, be brave, ask for help, and be persistent in finding the mental help that you need. podcast is kindly supported by DBSA San Gabriel Valley, Lemon Tree Studios, and Blue Oak Mastering and Podcasting in Los Angeles. Visit our website at checkyourheadpodcast.com where you'll find free and affordable resources for mental health and where you can also support us by donating or subscribing to our Patreon page. Thank you so much for liking and following us on Facebook and Instagram at Check Your Head Podcast. And the Check Your Head podcast is sponsored by a 501c3 nonprofit, so all donations are tax deductible. Thank you so much for listening and for your support.